Please turn with me this morning in your copies of God's Word to Proverbs and the 31st chapter, Proverbs chapter 31. We began last week, as I said, uh, as part of really the fruits of the labors that came from my time in Costa Rica and one of the conferences that I participated in, uh, we began to look at what I called the portrait or the picture of the godly family, the Christian home. And we did so by looking at Psalm 128, and we focused last Lord's Day on the man in his home as husband and as father. Well, today I want to come back to that same theme, but I want us to look at the portrait uh, of this godly home, and I want us to specifically look at the woman in her home as wife and as mother. Please bear with me this morning. We're going to read through a rather lengthy passage here in Proverbs chapter 31, but I do want to read through these verses for us before we begin to, to talk about this woman that we find here. So in verse 10 of Proverbs chapter 31, we hear these words, Who can find a virtuous wife or woman? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Lord, we would ask your blessing now upon your word. And we do pray for the help of the Holy Spirit as we consider these things that are written for us, for our sake. We pray your blessings upon our homes. We ask our God that you would be glorified in our hearts and in our lives. We pray it all in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Throughout the Proverbs, if you read through Proverbs, you'll find that wisdom is repeatedly personified as a woman. We find that in Proverbs chapter 1. We find that in other places. One text that I'll just draw your attention to very briefly is Proverbs chapter 9, where it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. And so you can see, not only there, but in other places, how that wisdom itself is personified as a woman. But here in Proverbs chapter 31, we have the opposite. This is not what we read, those verses that I just read, is not wisdom personified, but it is the demonstration of a person in whom this wisdom has materialized. Now, as we think about this, these verses that we have before us as we go through this this morning, there's one thing that I want us to keep in mind here that I think is very important, okay? And that is that these are the words of a mother to her son. You can see that in verse 1, Proverbs 31.1, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. Ladies, as we look at this, I want you to know that this is not being spoken by the mouth of a man. This is what the man was taught by his godly mother and recorded for us by the Holy Spirit in the scriptures of God. These are the words of a mother to her son about a person in whom wisdom is objectified and materialized and made to be, in a sense, incarnate. It's about a particular kind of woman she's speaking to her son about. A woman who's considered to be virtuous and a woman who is considered to be worthy of praise. And what we read in these 22 verses, I find this interesting as well, but what we read in these 22 verses comes to us as an acrostic poem that begins with each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The words that are set forth this way, they're, they're put here line by line and letter by letter in order to help paint a very careful picture of the woman of God. One writer has put it this way, that by this acrostic poem, using each of the 22 letters of the alphabet to begin each verse, what we have here is the embodiment of real, practical wisdom from A to Z, so to speak. And this is done primarily in the context of a wife, the woman as a wife, and the woman as a mother, and the woman as a homemaker. So much like the picture 
that's set before us back in Psalm 128 when it says, Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart or in the sides of your house. What this proverb and this woman who is teaching her son does for us is it focuses in on the wife of Psalm 128 as though the writer extracted her from the very scene of Psalm 128 as the fruitful vine in the heart of her husband's house. And he saw that woman and pulls her, the writer pulls her, as it were, from Psalm 128 in order to draw a more detailed silhouette in the fairest lines that the brush could paint of this godly woman. And as we look at this picture of this godly woman that's set forth for us here in these 22 verses, there are three dominant aspects that I'd like us to give attention to in this picture. And the first of these dominant, what I'm calling dominant aspects, much like her male counterpart, is that which is hidden within, is that which lies underneath the surface. All of the beauty, as you read through these 22 verses, all of the beauty drawn in these lines are drawn because she has within her a precious fixed jewel that is seated in the very center of her soul, which gives to her, according to the word of God, an inestimable value and worth. And because she has this jewel fixed and set and seated within the very center of her soul, it sets her apart as the fairest among women. Notice the opening statement, verse 10. Who can find, we're told there, a virtuous wife or a virtuous woman? The Hebrew word that's used there, it's the most common word in the Hebrew scriptures used for woman, and it's also the most common word used for wife. I find that actually instructive. It's the word that's used in Genesis chapter 2, when the woman is made from the rib of the man. And it's also the very same word that's used when the woman is brought and presented to the man to be his wife. In other words, through the Hebrew scriptures, the woman and the wife are so closely identified that they're scarcely separated from one another. I find that instructive. But we're told here, who can find a virtuous woman? For her worth is far above rubies. Her worth is far above jewels. Her worth is far above precious stones. And what we have here before us in this portrait is the picture of a woman of valor and the picture of a woman of strength. That's what the word virtuous means. It means force. It means liveliness. It means strength. It means substance. Who can find a woman of substance? Who can find a woman of force? Who can find a woman of strength, of valor, of virtue? And I would add this, that it takes a great deal 
of strength to withstand the influence of the day upon the thinking of our minds with regard to what a virtuous woman is. There are many around the world at this hour that would boast of such a thing as this. Strength, I'm saying women, around the world today that would boast of such a thing as this, of virtue, of force, of strength, of substance. And yet, if you take a portrait of the modern woman and you put it next to the portrait that we are given here, you'll find there is no comparison. Those that boast of being virtuous and strong and forceful and of substance in our modern day do not compare to what we are given here in this portrait that's been painted for us. If I might give something of an illustration, it would be like laying a child's drawing side by side with da Vinci's Mona Lisa. It just doesn't compare. The lines drawn by this world, the portrait that's painted by this world of the woman are all wrong. They're put, all of the lines that we hear about and we see today are put in all of the wrong places and they're distorted. I don't think that I need to go into great detail in saying that. You know, you know quite well the kind of woman that's portrayed on television. You know well the kind of woman that's portrayed in commercials. You know well the kind of woman that runs through the advertisements and your social media threads. And that is definitely not the woman that God paints as a virtuous woman. Part of this virtuous woman's inestimable worth lies in the fact that both then, apparently, and now, her person was and is a scarcity a scarcity in the earth. What makes a ruby? We're told here, who can find a virtuous woman or wife for her worth is far above rubies. What makes a ruby or some other precious jewel or precious stone so valuable? Part of what makes it so valuable is the rarity of it. And here we're told that this woman's worth is far above those precious stones that are scarce in the earth. And I suppose, brethren, that if we were to go out today and we were try, to try to go out and take this model, this portrait that's painted for us and make a comparison with all the women of the world, we would find, I think that it would be 100 women of the world to one of these, or maybe a 1,000 or 10,000, the way that the world paints the portrait of the woman to this one. She indeed is a rarity in the earth. And therefore, as we come to this text, we find God's honor placed upon her. She's numbered among the precious ones of the earth. But the other factor that lends a jewel its value is not only its rarity. Who can find her? Where is she? 
Where is this virtuous woman? But the other thing that lends a jewel its value is its quality, its durability, its weightiness, that which lies at the root of it, that which makes up its substance, that which makes it what it is. And we're told here in this text very plainly what makes the virtuous woman so virtuous. We're told here what makes her to be so full of substance, what makes her to be so full of weightiness. Notice again verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. God places his imprimatur. He places his stamp of approval. He places his blessing upon this woman. The woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, last week we took some time to open up and to explain something of what it means to fear the Lord. As we looked at the man in Psalm 128 and the blessing that's pronounced upon the one who fears the Lord there. So I won't go into all of that detail again this morning. I'll just explain it in short form here to renew our minds just a little bit. What does it mean for a woman to be a woman who fears the Lord? She's a woman who is marked by a true saving relationship to Jesus Christ. She's a woman who has had that hammer of the gospel that we were thinking about last week come to her soul the same way that it has come to the man of God's soul. And as that hammer of the gospel comes to her soul, the reflex of her soul also is faith in Him. And therefore, she's a member of His covenant people. And God himself has so worked a work in her life that he has come and he has given to her his Holy Spirit. And in giving to her his Holy Spirit, he has also put within her a fear of himself. He's wed her to himself. He's united this woman to himself. And having been wed to him... Her chief desire and her chief motivation in all that she does is doing all for Him. That's the virtuous woman that we have painted for us here. It's a woman who walks in the fear of the Lord. She's zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. We're told that in Proverbs 23, 17. Well, this woman is like that. She walks in the fear of the Lord all the day. And because she walks in the fear of the Lord all the day, with an eye towards God in all things, all of her desire, all of her motivation is grounded and it's rooted in this, that all that I do, I want to do to please Him. I want to know Him. I want to walk with Him. I want to enjoy communion and fellowship with Him. And I want to be pleasing in His sight. In all she does, one man has said, her greatest pleasure is his smile and her greatest fear is his frown. That's her secret. Nothing that she does 
in all of her life is detached from that. If I might put it this way, that's the orbit in which she moves and lives and has her being. Ladies, let me for a moment come out of the text and let me just try to speak to you. Women, mothers, ladies, grandmothers, young women, young maidens, little girls. The fear of the Lord is your greatest need. The fear of the Lord is your greatest need. Without this, I think I can state this pretty confidently. Without the fear of the Lord, all else that happens in your life will either lead you in one of two directions. It will either lead you in the direction of indifference and carelessness. If you're not harnessed in all things by the fear of the Lord, then you will begin to live a life of indifference and you will begin to live a life of carelessness. You will begin to live a life where you open your ear to the advertisements and you open your ear to the ways in which the world is portraying the woman and those things will become the things that will captivate you. Or, otherwise, if you do not live in the fear of the Lord, then you'll be led in the direction of frustration and bitterness. I've got a husband that sometimes I just don't want to be around. And I've got these children that at times, with all of the needs that they have, they just kind of get on my nerves. That's what happens in the mind of the one who's not harnessed by the fear of God. And you start to move into a realm of frustration and bitterness. And it sucks the life out of your soul. So I want to say to you this morning before we look at anything else. And if we were not to look at anything else with regard to this portrait. This is the one thing. This is the one thing that I pray that every single woman, young woman, grandmother, mother, young girl sitting in this room hears loud and clear. Don't measure yourself by the mirror of the world. Examine yourselves and measure yourselves by this mirror that we have here and nothing else. Do I have within my soul the fear of God? Do I have within my heart and within my life the living and ruling and reigning Savior? Is He sweet and is He precious to me? Because without Him, none of the other things that we look at in this can be achieved or delighted in. Listen again to what He says in verse 30. Young ladies, listen to me. Listen to Lemuel's mother who wanted to give him advice and gives you advice through him. Charm is deceitful. Charm is deceitful. And beauty is fading. 
beauty is fading. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Make that your aim. Make that your strength. That's your ultimate beauty. That's your ultimate worth. That's your ultimate value and strength. This woman that we're looking at here in this text, it's easy to read this and to think of her as some kind of superwoman. She is not a superwoman. She's not a superwoman. Her strength and her force and her virtue and her power and her ability to be able to do any of the things that we're going to read about here is because she walks day by day in the orbit of the fear of the Lord and the love of the Savior. Matthew Henry said this, Though the weaker vessel, yet made strong by wisdom and grace and the fear of God, a virtuous woman is a woman of spirit because her strength is found not in herself, but in her Savior. And she seeks to be always full of His Holy Spirit. And may I say to you, especially you mothers, because I know that life is very hectic at times. Whatever you do, be sure, as much as you are able, to walk in the fear of the Lord and to nurture that communion and fellowship with God. Nothing is more important than that. Nothing is greater than that. With all of the great responsibilities that are laid at your feet, the temptation becomes to say, I'm too busy. I have all of these right and legitimate responsibilities that I have got to take care of. But what happens is that slowly, step by step, as you focus more and more on all of those legitimate responsibilities, you step away from the very thing that gives you the grace and the strength and the power to be able to do those things the way that God would have you to do them. So can I plead with you? Nurture the fear of the Lord in your life. Don't forsake Him in the midst of all of these other things that you have going on. That's the first dominant trait. She's a woman who fears God. Now the second dominant trait in this portrait that I want us to consider is her eyes. Her eyes. We're thinking about a picture, right? So let's look at her eyes for just a moment. Shakespeare said, the eyes are the window to your soul. The eyes are the gateway, he said, to our hearts. Well, the Lord Jesus said something before Shakespeare, he said, the lamp of the body is the eye, and if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. The eyes tell us a great deal about an individual, about a person. And here, in Proverbs chapter 31, her eyes show us something about herself. They show us the loyalty of her heart. Let me put it in the form of a question. As we read through this narrative or these lines that paint this picture for us, where are her eyes? 
Where is she looking here in this text with the greatest longing? What is her heart fixed upon and what is it anchored to? Well, again, we could say the Lord, right? First and foremost, her heart is anchored to Him and her eyes are looking to Him and Him alone. But if we look a little bit closer, and this is why I want to use the illustration of a picture, because again, remember last week I said a picture is worth a thousand words. And sometimes in order to see all the details of the picture, you've got to look long at it. So let's look a little bit cl more closely at this woman's eyes here. Because not only is she looking first and foremost to her Lord, but if we look a little bit closer, what we'll see in this text is that her eyes are fixed upon two other points as well. Her husband and her household. Now, I was, I'll say this at this point. I was greatly helped by a few men as I tried to figure out how to handle a text of 22 verses in some, something of a summary fashion. Matthew Henry was a great help. Charles Bridges' commentary on Proverbs was a great help. And another man that we know very well, Pastor Martin, was a great help. And Pastor Martin said something that I thought was too good to pass up. He said that the home... And the husband, he called it the fundamental orientation of this woman of God. The fundamental orientation of the woman of God in this picture that's being painted for us is her husband and her household. Let me use a different illustration. It's like a compass that always points north. That's her heart. That's where her eyes are. Her true north is not only to her Lord, but her true north, where the needle is pointing, is pointing always towards her husband and her household. So that no matter where she goes, and no matter what she does, two fundamental characteristics bind her heart fast. And they're living proof of her internal prevailing posture of being ruled by the fear of God. Her heart is always tethered to her husband and her home. I want to show you this. This picture that we have before us, it points us, it shows us that this woman's heart is joyfully and unashamedly, joyfully and unashamedly, identified with her husband in everything that she does. That's very interesting to me. Notice verse 11. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Well, what's that telling us? It's telling us that her eyes and her heart are always towards her husband. It's further demonstrated, I think, in this same text in verse 23. Her husband, it says, is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Her, let's just think about this for a moment. Her what does any of this that we're looking at have to do with her husband sitting in the gates and being known by the elders of the land? That language comes in the context of her. 
It comes in the context of her laboring outside of her home. I find that very interesting. The very next verse, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. And just before that, it says her husband is known in the gate. What does that mean? It means this, that in light of who she is, and in light of the things that she does, in light of the way that she carries herself, her husband has gained a reputation. When he comes walking to the city gates, all of the people, all of the elders, all of the men know about his wife and know about her wares and know about what she does and know, they know about her labors and they say, not, well that's so-and-so's husband, but she is so closely identified with her husband that her husband himself is praised. I think that's important. What she is and what she does is inextricably identified with him. She's one flesh with him. She's one flesh with him. And so we see that in everything she does, she aims at doing good. She doesn't go out and disconnect herself as she works and as she labors. She doesn't disconnect herself from her husband. Our brother was talking about uh, Aquila and Priscilla last night. And how that Aquila and Priscilla, every time that you have them named, they're always named together. And every time this woman that we have here in Proverbs chapter 31 goes out, she goes out with the, can I put it this way, the, the, the cloak, the garb of being attached to her husband. She doesn't just labor in her name, she labors in his as well. Because her compass points, her fundamental orientation is always towards him. But we also see in this picture that her heart was equally passionate. Her heart was equally energetic. Her heart was equally unashamed and committed to the material and the spiritual good of her household. Let me just read a few verses. Verse 15. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. Verse 21. She's not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household is clothed with scarlet. Verse 27. She watches over the ways of her household. And I love the language that's used there as well. She watches over the ways of her household. In other words, she leans forward. That's the force of this language. She watches over. She leans forward and she peers out into the distance and she ponders and she thinks as one who observes the steps and the activities and the wants and the needs and the future days ahead. That's what this verse is saying. She watches over the ways of her household. And does not eat the bread of idleness. We're told in Proverbs 14 and verse 1. The wise woman builds her house. She builds her house. Not her empire. Not her reputation. But her house. And that's where the Bible says for you women. That's where the Bible says that the woman of God finds 
her greatest fulfillment. In all her labors, she keeps these two things always in view. She keeps the needle of her compass pointed to the true north of her life and the fundamental orientation of her life, the good of my husband and the good of my home. In other words, she is that fruitful vine spread out over them. That fruitful vine that provides rest. That fruitful vine that provides shade. That fruitful vine that ministers joy to the souls of those in her household. That's what this picture is painting for us. That's the second aspect. Her fundamental orientation, her eyes, are always towards her husband and the good of her husband and her home and the good of her home. And God says, this is right. Thirdly, as we look to this portrait, I said that there were three aspects. As we look to this portrait, drawn of this woman, I want us to consider also what I would call the general tenor or the complexion of her life. You understand complexion, right? Complexion, like the color of your skin, the tone. That's what I mean by that. The general tenor and the complexion, the tone of her life. In drawings, oftentimes, or photographs, again, I'm not a photographer, I'm not an artist by any stretch, but from what I understand of art and drawings and photographs, light is very important. Because light in a picture is used to manipulate certain aspects of what the artist is seeking to demonstrate. And in this case of Proverbs chapter 31, the lighting of this picture is situated in such a way that it gives us a view of several aspects of the complexion of the woman's life. It highlights these things, and I only have time to mention them briefly. And before I mention them, Charles Bridges gives, a, I think, a very apt warning that I want to share with you as we look at these details of her life. Bridges says this, he says, this lovely character that is drawn according to the usage, it's drawn according to the usage of ancient times. This lovely character is drawn according to the usage of ancient times. Though general principles are of universal application. And what he means in saying that, and why I think it's a warning that we need to use as we take our, our glasses and we look into this picture, the reason that's so important is because we're not looking, as we look at this, we're not looking at particular ways her vir virtues are demonstrated in the cultural context of her day. What we're looking at, what we're trying to find, is the broader features that typify a woman professing godliness. So, ladies, you can let your mind rest at ease, if this was something that you were worried about. I don't know that it was. You don't have to go out today and seek for wool and flax. That's my point. That was something that was a cultural thing, a cultural norm for her. But behind the seeking of wool and flax, there's a general precept, right? And that's what we want to focus on. That's my point. And the first aspect of this complexion of her life is her godly fidelity and her trustworthiness 
of character. Listen again to verses 11 and 12. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. She will have no lack of, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So as we look at this picture, one of the aspects of the complexion of her life that we find is her godly fidelity and her trustworthiness of character. Martin Luther said uh, in speaking about his own wife, he said, the greatest gift of God is a pious, amiable spouse who fears God, loves his house, and with whom he can live in perfect confidence. Luther says that the greatest gift of God is a trust worthy wife. Matthew Henry, she always conducts herself in such a true and consistent manner that her husband rests with an absolute confidence in her. That's what those verses are saying. He doesn't have to worry. He doesn't have to worry about where she is. He doesn't have to worry about who she's with. He doesn't have to worry about what she's saying. He doesn't have to worry about how she's spending their money. He trusts in her conduct. He trusts deeply in her conduct. He trusts that she will speak in all companies and act in all of their affairs with prudence and discretion all the days of their life. He's confident in that. Why? Why is her husband here so confident in her fidelity and the trustworthiness of her character? Because he knows her heart is bound fast to Christ. He knows that she seeks day by day to walk with him and to honor him. And therefore her husband is confident that she will do him good and not evil. Because behind her doing is Christ her Lord. And her husband knows that she takes seriously the words of Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And therefore, he trusts her. The second feature of the complexion of her life that is greatly in, amplified here is the godly disposition that she has towards what I would call hard work and enthusiastic labor. Verse 27 again. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Now, guys, we, I went after this. We went after this last week in talking about the man who fears God and how he puts his hand to the plow. Well, ladies, the woman who fears God has the same characteristics she endeavors to be engaged in hard work and again what I'm calling enthusiastic labor. Now, as we read Proverbs 31, what's important to remember here is that this woman probably was a woman of means. It's the words of a mother to her son who's a king about a virtuous woman. So you would assume, you would imagine that what she's telling her son is go out and seek a woman like this. And as we have the picture drawn for us, we can also assume that this is probably, maybe, a queen. Maybe. 
It's a woman of means who doesn't need to work. And yet, we're told in verse 27, she refuses to eat in idleness. In other words, she, in, she looks out and she can see, she realizes the inherent dangers of idle hands and an idle mind. You remember Paul's warning to the young widows, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13? Paul made a point in writing to Timothy to give instruction to the church about how they're to conduct themselves to include something with regard to young widows. And this is what he said. They learn to be idle, wondering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. Therefore, Paul says, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. And this woman here in Proverbs 31, this godly woman sees this from afar. And she's careful. She's careful to fill up her time so that none of it be lost to what one writer called the devil's plow. Idleness is so dangerous. That's why I think that men in their labors are addressed and that's why I believe that here in this picture that's being painted for us of the woman who fears God, this is something that's mentioned of her. Idleness is the field in which the devil plows. When we have idle minds, when we have idle hands, then all kinds of temptations are apt to creep, to creep in. And this woman sees this. We're told that she rises early. We're told that she fills up her time. We're told that she labors diligently. We're told that she takes initiative and that she seeks, verse 13, she seeks wool and flax. We're told that she willingly works with her hands there in verse 13. We're told in verse 16 that she considers, she plans, she considers a field and she buys it. From her prophets, she plants a vineyard. We're told in verse 24 that she's industrious. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. She's not idle. She doesn't eat the bread of idleness. And then notice in verse 31 what she's praised for. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gate. It's the fruit of her hands. Her work that crowns her days like that of a vine full of fruit hanging from it. Her fruit and her works praise her. And she does it with all of her might. That marks godliness. That marks the godly woman. But then another aspect of the complexion of this woman's life is marked by, and I'll move through these a little bit more quickly, it's marked by a, what I would call a godly carefulness in managing and structuring her time and her tasks in order to fulfill her God-given responsibilities with efficiency. Not only does she not eat the bread of idleness, 
but she manages her time. How does she do here all the things that she does? That's the question, right? This is a picture of the godly woman. And look how active she is. How does she do that? Well, I think it's quite simple. She doesn't waste time. She plans and she stays focused on what's most important and she prioritizes her time well. Verse 15, she organizes her time to meet the needs of those in her household. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. In those days, it was very common as I understand it, that there was a lamp that would be kept lit through the night with oil. And somewhere during the night, as the family slept, that lamp would lose the light. The oil would go out and the light would go out. And so it was the woman's responsibility to get up out of bed when that happened and to refill the oil and to relight the lamp. And as I understand it, it was typically at that point, at least with regard to this illustration that we have before us, that that woman then took up her labors. She organized her time Because she knew that she had a household that was dependent upon her. And so she labored to meet their needs in an orderly way. Verse 21, we're told she's not in a frenzy. She's prepared. She's not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household is clothed with scarlet. Well, what does that mean? It means that she didn't wait for the snowstorm to come. She was thinking ahead of time and she was planning accordingly in order to ensure that all of the children and all of the people in her household would be clothed so that when the big snowstorm hit, she's not running around in a panic saying, I don't have eggs. I don't have bread. I've got to go back to the store. Verse 24. She's able to make her appointments. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. And among all of the things that this woman is doing, loading the kids in the car, I'm using our modern vernacular, taking them to the different places that they need to go, going out and seeking for the wool and seeking for the flax and going to the store and buying the things that her household needs in order to be able to not be afraid of the big snowstorm that's coming. And all of those things, she meets with merchants. She doesn't call them up or send them a letter or send a messenger and say to them, I'm too busy, I can't make my appointment today. She so structured her life that she was on time in order to meet with these merchants that she's selling her supplies to. Otherwise, the supplies would not have been bought if she keeps canceling because her time is so disorganized. And I would say, ladies, that's a godlike quality. She's not frivolous with her time. She redeems it. She knows that her time is God's time and she patterns her life after God's ways. God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of disorder. Genesis chapter 1 is an example of that. He created with order. Charles Bridges said, In her household, order is the principle of her rule. Nothing is neglected that belongs to order, sobriety, economy, or general management. Fourthly, she's marked by a godly perspective concerning money and material things. Her husband trusts her to manage their money and her spending habits well. 
in all of the verses that talk about what she's doing, I'll read them very briefly. Verse 14, she's like the merchant ships. She brings food from afar. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it from her profits. She plants a vineyard. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. Verse 21 and 22, the making of the, uh, the clothing and the tapestry for herself. Verse 24, the linen garments that she's selling. Where is her husband? He's not there. Why? He knows his wife is not covetous. He knows his wife is not frivolous. He knows that she's a good steward of what she's been provided. And that she's going to use it for the good of her home. Not for the good of her own selfish desires. Fifth, the woman's complexion that we have here is a compassionate and generous heart for the poor and needy. She extends her hand to the poor, yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. There's two things going on in that verse. One, it would seem that the poor are coming to her, and the other is that she's going out to them. And again, this is so interesting to me because how in the world does this busy woman have time to be generous to the poor and needy? How does she, when does she have time to do that? The only thing that I can think is that this woman, as she went out day by day and traversed the same paths, perhaps she came across those who were in need. And instead of redirecting her route, that guy, I don't want to see him again. That person, I can't. She didn't redirect her route. Speculation. Whatever it is, what we see here is that this woman is marked by generosity to the poor and to the needy. She had the world's goods and she saw need and she did not shut up her heart from those who had need. Instead, she did them good. Six, the complexion of this woman's life was marked by godly wisdom and a gracious heart. Just notice the verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Out of the abundance of her heart, her mouth speaks. And having the word of Christ dwelling in her richly, she thinks, she speaks biblically. Her words are filled with grace. Her words are filled with kindness. Her words are filled with gentleness. Listen to Matthew Henry. She's discreet in all of her discourse, not censorious nor cranky. When she speaks... It is with a great deal of prudence and very much to the purpose. You may perceive by every word she says how much she governs herself by the rules of wisdom. She not only takes prudent measures, but gives prudent advice to others. And this not as assuming the authority of a dictator, but with the affection of a friend and an obliging heir. All she says is under the government of the law of kindness. It's written in her heart and it shows itself in her tongue. That's what Matthew Henry said. And then lastly, her complexion is one of a godly balance between inward piety and outward godly appearance. Verse 22, she makes tapestry for herself her clothing is fine linen and purple. 
ornamental displays of beauty there. It's not a violation of modesty. She's one who knows that her adornment is the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And yet, she understands there's something else here. That as she presents herself, she presents herself not just with this inward adornment, but rags on the outside. She presents herself with a godly modesty. She presents herself in such a way, not, not sloppy, not unattractive, not sad face with a face drawn. She girds herself with strength, we're told in verse 17, and she strengthens her arms and she lays over herself these linens of purple. Let me just give you the words of other men here that are much wiser than myself. Charles Bridges, the primary point of the inward adorning in no way renders the exterior grace as nothing. In other words, ladies, yes, we fear God. Yes, it's the inward adornment, but that doesn't mean that the godly woman neglects herself. The primary point, Bridges says, of the inward adorning is no, in no way renders the exterior grace as nothing. Even in isolated seclusion, some regard would be due much more as suited to the gradation that is the stage or the state or the place which providence has assigned. And as commanding a husband's respect who justly claims that his wife's exterior, so far as she is concerned, should continue to be not less pleasing than when at first his heart was drawn to her. That's Charles Bridges. Here's another pastor. This woman appreciates the beauty that God has given her. She appreciates the fact that her husband rejoices in that beauty and enjoys that beauty. And so she's careful and she makes sure that her clothing is not just linen, but we're told fine linen. And not just any kind of cloth or color, but purple, which was always associated with elegance. This woman knows how to take care of herself in a way that expresses her beauty and her loveliness to her husband. And that is a desire that she has, and it's a right desire. My point is this, in pointing that out, it's here in the text that this woman is not draped in sackcloth and ashes. Right? She takes care of herself the best way that she's able to. Now, let me close with this. We've looked at the rare and precious fixed jewel in her soul that makes her shine. We've considered the desire of her eyes We've looked at seven different aspects of the tones, of the complexion, of the skin of her life. But lastly, I want you to look at her smile. This is not a woman who's beat up. She has a deep and an abiding joy and satisfaction. Her children, we're told, rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. We're told her own works praise her. There's something that's deeper than all that. Notice verse 25. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. That's not speaking there of temporary robes that this woman is wearing. 
or purple linens or the way that she presents herself is speaking of a lasting joy that she bears. This woman is a woman who has a constancy of mind. This woman is a woman who has a spirit to bear up under the many crosses and disappointments. Because God is her rock and God is her portion. And as she looks to the future, as she considers the future, she looks at it not with fear. She looks at tomorrow not with trepidation, not with panic, not with angst, not with anxiety, but with great joy, knowing that after all of her faithful labors, nestled in the strength of her God, she will be brought into an everlasting eternity. And she smiles. For there she knows that she will know the fullness of joy and the pleasures that are forevermore. And as she wakes up in order to feed her house, and as she goes out in order to seek the things that they need, and as she makes the garments and the clothings for herself and her family, and she feeds the people in her home, She smiles. She smiles as she considers there's a day that's coming. And oh, how glorious and great that day is. And as I labor, let me labor with my heart and my eyes and my mind fixed upon that day. Ladies, that's something of a poorly drawn portrait by this preacher of the woman of God. But oh, how I pray. Oh, how I pray that something of it will come home to our souls, renew our hearts and our minds, that day by day as you go about your daily task, you'll go about them in the fear of the Lord, laboring, striving, putting this picture before you, not the picture of the world, the picture of this woman, and saying, Lord, give me grace. Give me grace to be this kind of woman. Father, we do pray for your help. As men, we pray that you would help us to love our wives. As women, we pray, help us to walk in the fear of the Lord so that we would labor with joy. We would work with enthusiasm and energy and liveliness and not fall into idleness, but that we would be careful to seek you in all things, and to seek to do good to our families. We pray for your help. We pray for your forgiveness. We pray for the power of your spirit to sanctify us. In Jesus' name, amen.